because she failed to take her Christmas lights off her house. Stunning story of an ever-increasing police state in America. And so, and so apparently in Glendale there are, uh, there's a law that you have to have the Christmas lights off your house in 19 days after the holidays, and she failed to comply with that. So they, hauled, they, they sent her uh, a couple of notices, and then they hauled her off for contempt, of course, because she did not respond to those notices. So she got to jail, and, you know, here's all these uh, prostitutes and, uh, you know, junkies and stuff. What are you in for? Christmas lights. <laughs> Very difficult. And so uh, I got a notice uh, probably about three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, from the city of Prescott Valley out in the easement now this is this isn't even this is isn't even really your property. This is their property, but you have to take care of it. And so out in the easement, the weeds had come up a little bit. And, you know, it's a shucks. Who has time to pay attention to weeds in the easement? And so you know, I wasn't. So I got that notice, and then I got another notice, and then I got another notice saying it's going to cost you 750 bucks a day if we send you another notice. That was a motivator. Got out there with my weed whacker and knocked them weeds down. As I was thinking about these things, I was thinking about the nature of a community. A community is such that uh, we've all come to a place where we have agreed to live together by certain standards. We may not even have a say in those standards. Uh, some communities, like gated communities, uh, up in, uh, uh, what's that thing up behind Costco, uh, you know, your ranch, that's it. And so, you know, up there, you, uh, you know, you can't, you can't hang your laundry out. You can't do anything, you know. It's a, everything is dictated by a governing uh, committee that says this is what we'll allow in this community. And so communities are many, many times defined by the way they are governed and by the standards they uphold. And so uh, this got me thinking about the nature of the church because the church is a community of believers. And uh, we are defined by a great many things that we're going to look at in the course of this study. Uh, but uh, that's kind of where we're going. Let's have our text, 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. So you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Paul gives the essential reason, not only for writing to Timothy, but for writing all of the pastoral epistles, uh, is to explain the nature of God, the nature of the church, and how we ought to conduct ourselves in, the, in relationship to the church, uh, all of Paul's letters are masterpieces of theology, and there's usually the, uh, the first half of his letter goes into theological treatise, but inevitably he works his way around to a practical discussion of how we ought to live as Christians, and especially how we ought to live in relationship to the church or to one another. And so uh, the, uh, you know, the raison d'etre for uh, the letters that Paul writes, it can be distilled down to this thought, how you ought to conduct yourself in the church. And so this is what we're going to be looking at over the next uh, seven weeks. That word conduct is the word anastrophastai. Uh, Barclay says this of that word. It describes uh, what we might call a man's walk and conversation. It describes the whole life and character, but it especially describes him in relationship to other people. So we're not just looking at your conduct as a Christian as such. You know, there are, there are many, many things that you could go into on that, but we are looking at your conduct in the house of God or your relationship in the church. The church implies community. Paul implies community, how you ought to conduct yourself. This exact same thought as the town of Prescott Valley telling me, we don't like the way you're keeping your easement. And so uh, 
you know, there's a there's a statement being made here. There's a govern there's a government. There's a microcosm. The church is a world within the world. We are like an evangelizing reservation. Now, the reservation we've got we've got the uh, uh, Yavapai Reg- reservation right here. They have their own government. They have their own identity. They have their own economy. They have their own taxation. They have all sorts of things that that pertain only to them and to no one else in Prescott. And many of the things that pertain to Prescott have nothing to do with the Yavapai community. That's a microcosm. It's It's a world within a world. And as Christians, we have our own government directed by our own king. We have our own citizenship. We have a culture that is completely at odds with the culture that we are a part of. We are in the world, but we are not of it. We have our own economy. We have our own mission. We have our own reason for existence. All of these things pertain to the church, and they have no significance whatsoever to the world at large. They, they define us as a community of believers. And so how does this work out in practice? How does this manifest itself in the local church? When you look at the local church... There are so many permutations today that if you were trying to figure out how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God by looking at the local expressions of the church, you would have no idea. You would have no idea how you're supposed to live. Should you wear your hair in a bun and shun makeup? Or should you tease your hair up so that it's ten feet tall and put makeup on with a shovel? (laughs) Which, Which do you do? Because you can find both of those in the local church. Should you sit quietly in your pew? Or roll over on your back and do the Pensacola cockroach. Or something in between. Should you have communion once a week, once a month, once a year? Never. Should you, uh, should the church run the pastor? Or should the pastor run the church? Because you, you'll find churches that do both. Should, should, uh, women sit on one side of the church and men on the other side? Or should we all just greet each other with big sloppy kisses? Yeah, that's a thought, isn't it? <laughs> should we sing or not sing? And if we sing, should we use instruments? And if we use instruments, should they be electric? <laughs> These are all differences that you will find in the church. Should we ordain homosexuals? Should we even let them in the church? Should we ordain women? Should we even let them in the church? Do we even need to belong to a church? Why can't we just go up on Mingus Mountain and commune with God? God's up there. Right? He made it. It's His creation. Why do we even have to be a part of this? Why are you even here? And I'm not asking that existentially. Why are you here this morning? See, these are all questions that many of us just sort of flow into. We get saved. We flow into it. We don't even ask, we may not even ponder until something triggers and it becomes an issue in your life. And then many people, rather than asking the questions or defining the issues, get their knickers in a knot and leave or whatever it may be. And so it's very important that you understand why we live the way we do in this community of believers. We are an expression of the local church. And let's I want to take a little time this morning, and we're going to lay a foundation, really, of the nature of the church. And I am, uh, I am uh, speaking again and again of the local church. That's uh, an appellate that I am uh, using and will use throughout this study. And I do so because the church, really, in Scripture, is defined three different ways. There's the universal church, there's the local church, and then there is the fellowship, which is actually referred to as the church. And so uh, all of these need to be understood, at least basically, as we move into this. We want to take a little thought about that in just a moment. Chances are good, uh, all the questions that I just asked about what we should and should not do, how we should conduct ourselves in the church, are, uh, are questions you may have opinions on. It's safe to assume that we all have opinions But the bottom line is, are we justified in our opinions? Uh, This is is a very important 
question, as we'll see, as we look at the nature of the church, what the church is all about, you see, it's very important that we answer this question scripturally and intelligently. Why are we the only church in town that throws out fornicators? Why are, the, why are we the only church in town that evangelizes on the streets? Why are we the only church in town that consistently preaches hard against sin and calls for a high level of commitment? Why, why, why do we do that? Are we justified in that? Or is this just Pastor Mitchell's cult? Is that just his cultic way of doing things? The C word gets thrown our way all the time. We're always called a cult. Well, what makes you so sure we're not? You know, you talk to Mormons, they don't think they're in a cult. Talk to Moonies, they don't think they're in a cult. Maybe we're all brainwashed. Did you ever think about that? (laughs) See, you've got to be able to answer that from this. Why, Why? You know, what's with your pastor, you know? Well, he's just a cult leader. That doesn't wash. Why do we do what we do? Why do we behave ourselves pretty much decidedly different from the rest of the church community in this in this town? And much of it in the United States. I wouldn't say we are completely unique, but I haven't seen anything like us. And I didn't get saved in this fellowship. I got saved... Out in uh, the assemblies, actually, I got saved on the streets. I uh, started out my uh, Christian walk in the assemblies of God, uh, experienced a great number of other congregations outside of that denomination, uh, uh, visited many other churches, used to tour around with a little gospel band in Vermont. We covered all over New England, went to all kinds of different churches, saw lots of different things. And so... You know, the church manifests itself many, many different ways. And so, the, the, you know, what makes you so sure that, that uh, what we're doing is right? And the way we're living is correct. Now, clearly, it's beyond the scope of this seven-week study to look at all the questions that this could raise. Uh, it's just impossible to deal with all of the issues that pertain to the church when you ask how ought we to conduct ourselves in the church or in the house of God. What I hope to give you is some rationale for some of the big picture issues. Some of the, some of the larger overarching reasons that trickle down into some of the fine points and some of the minutiae of our functioning as a church. But you have to understand what it is that you've gotten yourself into by becoming a Christian. Because when you became a Christian, you became part of the church. Period. Upon getting saved, you instantly became part of the church of the living God. And either congruently or shortly after conversion, you became involved with a visible manifestation of the church of God, that is, the local church. Let's come to grips with that thought first. And then we'll look at some of Paul's comments about the church and then move to the meat of the matter over the next several weeks. Okay, so the church is essentially spoken of in these terms. The first is the universal church. It's also called the body of Christ the bride of Christ, the planting of God, the building of God, the field of God. Many of these phrases that many of us that are older Christians uh, here today are familiar with, many times they are spoken in the context of the universal church. And so uh, in this generation and for, for many, many years, the church has been associated with a building. This is a church. No, this is not a church. It's been associated with a de- denomination. No, that's not the church. The church, in its, in its largest sense, is much larger than any particular denomination. The word church is the word ecclesia. It's an assembly of people. The word ek is the word out from. Kaleo is the word to call, or the ones that are called out. And so originally that word was used to describe the Grecian Senate. That's where the word came into existence was talking about uh, an assembly of legislatures that were called out of their daily life into an assembly where they discussed uh, the government and how that would work. Eventually that became applied in the New Testament to the church. We are called out by God to an assembly. Now that word ecclesia, called out ones, is used for all three 
uh, definitions of the church. It's used, we'll see, uh, uh, as the word for the universal church. It's used for the local church, and it's even used for the fellowship. Ecclesia, the exact same word, shows up in different contexts uh, uh, and uh, therefore has different applications. Universal church, uh, the community of believers at large, uh, are, are all those who are genuinely born again. They've been bought with a price. They are the brethren of whom Jesus Christ is the firstborn. They've been adopted into the family of God. This is the universal church. Somebody get Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. Uh, Eric, somebody get Ephesians 5, 23. Pete, Colossians 1, 24. Noel, somebody get me Romans 16, 1. Sam, somebody get me Colossians 4, 16. Chad, uh, Joel, get me Acts 14, 23. Uh, Jake, get me Acts 13.1. Colossians 4.15. Dennis, Dave, get me 1 Corinthians 16.19. Somebody get me Romans Uh, 1.7. Aaron and Romans 16.3-5. Dave. Okay, so we have this first concept, the universal church, the church at large, all those who are born again. Hebrews 12.22 and 23. To the general ecclesia, the ecclesia of the firstborn. Okay? This is a, a vision. The author of Hebrews almost, uh, it sounds almost like he's being transported in his mind into a vision of the heavenly assembly that ultimately our identity is not here on earth. Ultimately our identity is linked to Christ ruling and reigning in heaven. That's where the final conclave, the final meeting of the church of the firstborn will transpire. That's when the universal, and this is also sometimes called the invisible church or the invisible body of Christ, will ultimately be made visible. That's when every believer is gathered together worshiping Jesus Christ. We are going to have many, many surprises at that meeting. There's going to be a lot of people we expected to be there who won't. There's going to be many people who we never would have expected to be there who will. Because this has nothing to do with the local church affiliation. This has everything to do with being genuinely and legitimately born again. Ephesians 5.23 Okay, Christ is the head of the church. Okay, uh, Colossians 1.24. For the sake of His body, which is the church, His sacrifice uh, poured out for all believers. Now, this may have and clearly does have a local reality. Jesus Christ is hopefully the head of this church, as he is hopefully the head of any legitimate church. There are certainly churches where Jesus is not the head. There are churches where they don't want him there. There are churches where they'd rather he didn't show up. In fact, when he does show up, it'll be a very bad day for that church. And so, uh, but ultimately, any legitimate expression of the church of Jesus Christ in a local fashion has Christ as the head, but But when he speaks in these terms, he's speaking universally quite obviously. He's speaking of all the church over whom he is the head and who is related to him through his blood. Okay, This is uh, uh, by its very nature. The universal church precludes any one local church or visible church claiming for itself the sole identity of true church. When you think of it in these terms, when you think of the universal church, it's absolute folly for any one church or any one group of churches to say, we are the true church. Because it completely defies the definition we've just laid out. Are people who go to other churches saved? Some. Okay. And so, uh, are they then not part of the church? They are part of the church. Is it possible that some people who attend the potter's house aren't saved? 
Are they then part of the church simply because they're part of this church? No. See what I'm getting at? There's no way you as a church can say, we're it. We're the chosen. There is no other, there are no other Christians. There's, nobody else is saved. Uh, you know, the Catholic Church historically has claimed to be the only true manifestation of the Church of Jesus Christ. It's probably the most apostate of all religious organizations on the earth. It is probably the, the least legitimate claim to be the sole Church of Jesus Christ. And yet they, you know, they've been trumpeting this for years. And so it's folly, it's stupidity for anybody to say uh, there, there is one true Church. There is one true universal Church. That is, is constituted by the born-again, by born-again believers everywhere. And, and just like a local church, the, uh, the numbers rise and fall. Just like the local church, people are sometimes part of it, and sometimes they backslide and go join another church. And they think they're doing just fine, but they're not. They're no longer part of the body of Christ by their actions, by their faith, by their embracing of truth or their rejection of truth. All of these have to do with your condition. There's, there's no such thing as being baptized into the church of Jesus Christ never to lose your Christianity again. That doesn't exist in Scripture. However, those who are genuinely living for God, genuinely serving God, genuinely born again, constitute uh, the universal church. Okay? Now, the universal church takes on tangible, physical form as the local church. Romans 16.1. I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centuria. I commend to you, Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Centuria. There's a local body, a church in Centuria, Colossians 4.16. Okay, he's writing to the church in Colossus, and he's saying, when you get through this letter, pass it on to the church of the Laodiceans. Okay, uh, Acts 14.23. Okay, this is Paul uh, and appointing the churches and the leaders of Ephesus. And so uh, just very quickly, to avoid any confusion there, the, these elders were uh, the pastors over various local, local churches in the city of Ephesus. This was made up of a number of house churches, most especially in the early church. Most churches uh, met in houses uh, generally and consistently and then from time to time uh, would gather together. But each one of these uh, local area manifestations uh, had a pastor and uh, this is the way they dealt not only with the logistics of not having church buildings but also with the enormity of converts. We're, we're dealing with these cities having thousands and thousands of believers well beyond the ability of a single man and so uh, these were pastors that were seen as heads over the church. But each one of these was a local manifestation of the universal church. Acts 13.1. Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Okay. Okay, so in the church that was in Antioch, Okay, so again, we're having a local manifestation of the church at large, the universal church. These churches, as I've already mentioned, met in houses, Colossians 4.15. Okay, the brethren overall, Laodicea, and the one, and then he calls out a particular house church uh, led by a particular individual, 1 Corinthians 16.19. Churches of Asia. Now, wait a minute. What what do you mean the churches? The churches are the local manifestation of the church at large. And he goes on and greets, again, a particular house church. There are... Uh, uh, let's compare Romans 1.7 with Romans 16.3-5. You can see this breaking out. Romans 1.7. Paul writes to the church at large in Rome. To all that be in Rome, called uh, to be saints. Romans 16, 3 to 5. 
Okay. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Now, he's already uh, addressed this letter to the Christian church at large in Rome. Now, again, he narrows it down and speaks specifically. He wants to address Aquila and Priscilla. There's a direct link of relationship. They've obviously gone out of their way and sacrifice to help Paul in his ministry endeavors. And so he salutes them uh, and picks them out from the larger mass of the Roman church. Uh, this is a subset uh, of a larger church. This is the local church. That's what I want you to see. That's what I'm driving at is there are uh, little pockets of local church everywhere in the world. They are all part of the church, the universal church. But each one of these local churches... Uh, uh, expresses itself, manifests itself, lives for God, uh, and that's the stuff that we're going to be looking at. We are the local church. We are a local church. We want to know, uh, are we living the way God wants us to live as the church? Uh, do we conduct ourselves according to His will? Do we live according to His purposes? Because when it's all said and done, He's the head of the church. He's the head of His body. Now, the final uh, expression of the church is fellowship. Uh, let's have Acts 9.31. Somebody get that for me. Acts 9.31. Okay, Randy. 1 Corinthians 16, uh, verse 19. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. Somebody over here. Uh, Don. 2 Corinthians 11.28. Uh, Noel, Pete, get me Titus 1.5. Dave, get me 2 Corinthians 8.1-4. Jake, get me Acts 16.4-5. Acts 9.31. Okay. Uh, you're using the New King James Version. And so they use the term, then had the churches rest and names various places for the manifestation of this church. But the actual Greek and the, and the old King James says the church. Then had the church rest and names these local expressions of it. These individual local churches made up the church and they functioned in harmony. They functioned in relationship. These were not just churches out there doing their own thing. There were bonds of relationship, there were bonds of apostolic authority that created a fellowship uh, of believers. 1 Corinthians 16, 19. Okay, this again is the church, and it's the same word, ecclesia. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Okay, Paul is talking about the burdens he has to carry as a leader. And he says, I have this concern for all the churches. These churches aren't just out there foundering on their own. They're not just out there making things up as they go along. I'm concerned about their welfare. I'm involved with all that they do. I have a, I have a vested interest in these local churches. Titus 1.5. Okay, here again, uh, Paul leaves Titus uh, in Ephesus and he says, I want you uh, to, or in Crete was it? He, he leaves him there and says, I want you to appoint pastors in these local churches. These are not, each one of these churches isn't just doing their own thing. There's a relationship that exists between them. Uh, there is recognition of authority uh, that it has the ability to appoint pastors. Say, this is going to be the pastor here. Uh, and so there's, there's no problem with that. This is, this is the way the church functions and flows. We're going to look at more of that later. 2 Corinthians 8, 1-4. Paul is referring here to an offering that was taken for the mother church in Jerusalem. There's a great need there. And so uh, word went out through all the churches, and he especially cites the churches in Macedonia. Now, they didn't have any money. They were struggling, excuse me, struggling themselves. 
but they uh, rallied. They had a desire to be involved in fellowship. They had a desire not just to talk a good line, but to actually give themselves to this fellowship of churches. They didn't want to just wave a denominational banner. He says not only were they willing out of their poverty to give as much as they possibly could, but before that they wanted to give themselves. They wanted involvement in this fellowship. They wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to give themselves to something larger than just that local church. They wanted to be part of the church at large, and so they were willing to make sacrifice to, to see that come to pass in reality in their lives. Acts 16, 4 to 5. Okay, so as the church established, the ecclesia was established as they circulated letters from the apostles in Jerusalem uh, and uh, these dealt with doctrine, these dealt with uh, the very issues of how we ought to conduct ourselves uh, in the local church, in the expression of the church uh, where each one of us lives. Without belaboring the issue, uh, we can see that these churches functioned on a local level, but they had bonds of relationship and they had an accountability to the church in Jerusalem. Decrees went forth and they embraced them. This is evident not only in the narrative in Acts, but the very nature of the epistles that we have that make up, you know, the bulk of the New Testament. We have the Gospels that tell the story of Christ by the Gospel narrators. The rest of the New Testament is epistles sent out by apostles to the local churches. And this is, these are issues that you have to deal with. These are things that have to be considered. Uh, some of these letters are incredibly forceful and uh, cite God's authority to confront and say this is not just Paul just you know, creating the, the world's first uh, you know, pyramid scheme. This is not just Paul creating some kind of organization that he can be the big mucky-muck in. He's saying, God has designed this. We're going to look at this in just a moment. God has designed this. God has put me here. And these are the issues that you will deal with. And if you won't deal with them, there's going to be trouble. He, there, there are several times, because the Corinthian church was a particularly troublesome church. These guys, I don't know, they're all a bunch of old hippies. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what their problem was, but they really had a problem with authority. And so there are times when Paul says, look, I've written you letters, I've written you letters, I've sent letters by other guys. I'm going to have to come down there and kick butt. And if I come down and you haven't dealt with this, you aren't going to want to see me. Because I'm not going to be as I want to be. I'm not going to be the loving father that comes in, plays smoochy smooch with you. I'm going to come in and I'm going to rip your face off. He's, he's really adamant. As you read through, especially his letters to the Corinthians, he gets very, very adamant. He gets very uptight. And so the reason why is because everything that God is trying to do is being jeopardized by the folly of men's pride and men's stupidity. And so he's upset. He sees the writing on the wall. If this stuff doesn't get dealt with, uh, everything that we know is going to be lost to us. And so we're fighting for this. Okay? So one of the things that attracted me to the fellowship, why I got involved in this church, was when I came, I saw the startling parallels between the way we function and the, the biblical design of a fellowship. This is something I had never seen And most of you, having never seen anything but this church, just take things for granted. But uh, denominations do not function the way we function. Uh, uh, I saw immediately that this fellowship was not just a structure or a licensing committee or anything like that. Uh, It wasn't like any of the things I'd been involved in prior to coming to Prescott. The nature of our fellowship is built on relationships. It isn't just a a licensing organization. It's a koinonia. It's a fellowship. And the process of raising up laborers, allowing them to find their destiny and have an expression in God, giving them liberty uh, to function with a great degree of independence and yet maintaining the bonds of accountability, uh, recognizing apostolic authority. All of this is what you see in the book of Acts and throughout the epistles. I was very much impressed 
uh, as a uh, as a young Christian, I've been saved about two years when I got here, and I was about backslidden because of uh, everything I'd been through in the church. I, I pretty much decided the church was uh, didn't exist anymore. Is every man for himself till Jesus comes back. And uh, so, so this is one of the things that drew me into uh, this church and this fellowship. We may look at some of that a bit later, but uh, this is this this to me is critical stuff. This is this is absolutely defining us as a community of believers. What, what we're doing and why we do it. And so that's why we're looking at some of this uh, and getting a handle on the overall picture. Is there any question up to this point? Good. You're all asleep or I'm making myself perfectly clear. Okay. So there's one other thing that I want to drive home this morning. We see that the local church is an expression of a larger church. The fellowship is an expression of the universal church. We see this dynamic, the way the church is defined in Scripture. Now, in addition to that understanding, I want you to see this morning that this is God's plan. That the church is God's design. So let me get Matthew 16, 18 for me. Matthew 16, 18. Dennis, somebody get Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Joel, Colossians 1, 18. Eric, uh, Lucas, get me 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 18. Uh, somebody get me Ephesians 5, 29 to 32. Sam? And we'll, we'll use those for the moment. <clears throat> the church is not a man-made organization. The the early church, uh, most commentators, most students of the church say that the church was born on the day of Pentecost. That day the Holy Spirit was poured out on all believers. At that day, uh, God began to move in a very sovereign way. He began to add and multiply to the church daily such as should be saved. Uh, there came uh, and rose up very clearly a leadership. Uh, there came uh, a process of, of discipling, of evangelism, many, many things that began to find expression in the local church. Uh, they trace this back to the day of Pentecost as the point of inception for the church. Uh, that was a supernatural act of God. The apostles didn't all sit around and say, okay, uh, now we believe on Jesus. What are we going to do with this? I know. Let's build an organization, see how many people we can suck into this. That isn't the way the church came into existence. There was an explosion of revival. There was an explosion of faith. People were saved supernaturally, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit supernaturally. Uh, they, they had, you know, month-long baptism services. <laughs> you know, these guys dunking people all day long. It just goes on and on and on. And this was an explosion at the hand of God. This harkens back to the defining words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 16, 18. Listen to these words. These are critical for you to embrace. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail or overcome the church. And so, this, you know, the, the Catholic Church took this and said this was, this was uh, Jesus' declaration of Peter as the first pope. This is absolute folly. The language of the text will not permit that. Uh, it's, it's just uh, insanity. He wasn't addressing Peter. Peter went on to deny the Lord. Uh, uh, you know, he rose up in leadership, but he clearly, he, was not, he wasn't even the, the head uh, uh, pastor in the church in Jerusalem. James was the head pastor in the church of Jerusalem. He was not the first pope. There is no papal succession. But what Jesus is saying here is, I am going to build my church. That's what I want you to see. We're not going to get bogged down in that whole theological discussion. But Jesus says, I am going to build my church. This is my church. This isn't Peter's church. This is my church. This is not a man's church. This is my church, and I'm going to build it. You're not going to build it. You're not going to design it. You're not going to create it. This is God's church. And so you've got to understand uh, that this is not simply the regular gathering of a people with mutual interest. This is not just a club. This is not just a society. This is a God-created entity. This is God's design. He designed the church. 
I asked you at the beginning of this, why are you here? Well, because this is what you are. This is something God breathed into you. Let's look at some scriptures quickly. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Okay. He put all things under His feet. He gave Him to be head over the church. None of that talks about a man. It's talking about what God did. Colossians 1.18 And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have preeminence. Okay. Uh, he says He put Him, the head, over the body. Uh, tie this in with 1 Corinthians 12, 12-18. Okay, now God has set the members in the body as it has pleased Him. He speaks of the body, and He's not just speaking in metaphorical terms. He speaks of the body, says God's built this body. He's fashioned it in such a way that He takes people and He puts them in it, and He makes some of them eyes and some of them feet, and some of them are comely and some of them are uncomely, but it's all by God's design. It's all by God's plan and God's purpose. He says, uh, you may not want to be the eye. You may not like the hand. You may say, I have no use for the hand. He says, that, that isn't yours to call. That isn't your position or, or, or purpose in life. To say, well, I, I, you know, I like this, but I don't like that. He says, God has designed this. God has made this organic spiritual creation called the body of Christ. If you'll read 1 Corinthians 12 carefully, in that particular instance, he is referring to a local expression of the universal body. He is speaking to the Corinthian church. He speaks specifically about the gifting that each member has in the body. So he's talking about individuals. And very clearly, uh, it's, it, it, it wouldn't make any sense if you tried to define this chapter in universal terms. It only makes sense uh, in a local expression. He's saying God puts you in a body for a reason, for a purpose. Uh, and this is God's design. This has a supernatural genesis, uh, and uh, this is this is by God's plan. We see this again, and perhaps more clearly, the the supernatural and mystical element of this in Ephesians five twenty nine to thirty two. This is a profound portion of Scripture, and it becomes very clear he's not just talking in metaphor. He's using symbols to define something for us. He's not just saying it's like a body. That's what I want you to see. He's not just saying it's like a body. He's saying you have become one with Christ the same way a married couple becomes one. He says, I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about a mystery. I'm talking about something that transcends human understanding. This is something that God has created. He's created a body. He specifically says, no man hates his body, but nurtures it and cherishes it as Christ loves the church. He's talking about a supernatural creation of a body for Christ, an organic expression of Christ, and we become related to that in a covenant that is profound. We become a part of that supernaturally. Okay, God puts us in the church. With me? You following what, what Paul is getting at here? Okay. And so uh, we're going somewhere with this. Okay? And we're going to see... If the church is supernatural, 
if it's the body of Christ and it's a supernatural creation and we become a part of it upon conversion and God places us in the body, i.e. location, gifting, etc., then no Christian can dismiss the church as superfluous. No Christian can say, I don't have to be a part of that. It cannot be written off as an anachronism. The church can, cannot be labeled as no longer relevant to this generation. It can't be dismissed because of past abuses or hypocrisies. That's not the issue. It wasn't made by those men. The church isn't about those men. The church is about something that God has put together. It cannot be uh, uh, ignored in the final analysis. It's God's plan. It's God's design. You may not like it. You may hold it at arm's length, but you are fighting God on this. It's integral to the identity of the Christian. The church is integral. This community of believers. See, it goes deeper than me just choosing to live in Prescott Valley and answering to the local government. It, it's, it's like God built you the house in Prescott Valley and said, this is where I want you to live. And you're going to have to do whatever you have to do, but this is where I want you to live. It takes on a whole different dimension of personal involvement, personal commitment, personal accountability. You see what I'm saying? This, is, this isn't just, you're not just part of, of the Christian Fellowship Church Incorporated. And you, you know, you, you, you can switch jobs, move town, go wherever you want. Uh, all of that's the American way, right? Well, that's not the way God views the church. That's not the way God views your position in the church. You're not just part of a corporation or an organization. You're part of something God's put together. This, this places a great, great accountability on your life. It's because the way we look at it today in America... If pastor preaches something we don't like, we just go across town. Right? I don't have to listen to that man. Who does he think he is? That's not the way God looks at it. It's not just a, a club that you've joined. You're part of something of great significance in the eyes of God. You're part of the church like you're part of your family. You're born into a family. You don't have any say in that. You may not like your brothers and sisters. Tough. That's the way it is. You could leave tomorrow. You could run away from home. They'd still be your brothers and sisters. I'm a lamb to this day. I had no say in the matter. And I will be a lamb to the day I die. I have no say in the matter. There was something, uh, uh, I don't know if it was God's plan or not. That one might have been demonic. I'm not sure. But somehow, I ended up in the Lamb family. Okay? Well, that's the way it is in the kingdom of God. You, you were born into a family. You may not get along with your brothers and sisters all the time, but you're still part of the family. This is something that God has created. Paul's language in our text is significant. He speaks of the house. Literally a household or oikos. Um, yeah, we got enough time to go through these quick scriptures. Galatians 6.10. Give me that. Uh, Jake, uh, Ephesians 2.19, Lucas and Hebrews 2.11-3.6. Hebrews 2.11-3.6 is a long one. In fact, we'll probably all turn to that. I may read that. Uh, okay, in our text, he says that... you. That, this is how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, oikos, household of God. This speaks directly to the issue of family. Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially to those who are of the household, the oikos of faith. Uh, Ephesians 2.19. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You're no longer strangers, foreigners. You're part of this household. You're part of this family. Hebrews 2. Let's all turn there. I'm going to read this. Hebrews 2.11. Starting with verse 11. Hebrews 2, verse 11. 
For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. They are all one. He is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. The author of Hebrews is quoting various scriptures to back up his uh, position that we are the brethren of Christ in the family of God. Verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Again, a picture of a family of faith. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are, are tempted. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who is faithful to him, who appointed him as Moses, also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. He who built the house has more honor than he who's in the house. Okay, So uh, clear reference to Jesus uh, uh, building the church. goes on and says, uh, For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things uh, is God. All right, so... If you want to go to a much deeper study of the oikos or the household of God, I recommend Pastor Mitchell's Sunday School of years ago, The Household of God. Great study on the concepts and what's involved in being part of a household. What I want you to see there is you are part of a family. And this is this was not even... You didn't even know that. When you got saved, you just thought it was you and Jesus. You asked Jesus into your house. But at that moment, you were adopted into a family and your identity is woven into that family. You cannot, you cannot separate yourself from that. Okay, any question? Yeah. Not necessarily. Uh, what it means is that you have to be very, very careful about the will of God and about obeying the will of God because God puts you in the body where He wants you. This is where He puts you. Okay, so uh, this does not necessarily mean that my leaving uh, means I'm no longer saved. There may be very good and legitimate reasons to leave. There may be uh, other issues that are mitigating circumstances, health reasons or business or whatever it may be. Lots of different reasons you end up somewhere else. But you've got to be very, very, very careful about the will of God being first and foremost before any decisions like that are made. Because God put you where He wants you. He, he designed this, not us. No man designed this. Any other questions? Okay, we're out of time. We'll pick this up next week. Oh, good.